Well, it's been a, a great pleasure and an honor for us to start reading our books, Faith Like Potatoes. You might be asking yourself a question, where did a name like that come from? Well, I can honestly tell you it never came from me. There was a Scottish preacher, Peter Marshall. He had an incredible way with words. They say that students used to come and sit in the back of his meetings just to hear him speak the English language. And he said to his students one day, you must have faith, faith that is tangible, faith that you can touch, faith that you can see, faith like <laughs> potatoes. Chapter 9, Auntie Angus. Auntie Angus, where are you going? I looked down at my little four-year-old nephew with his blonde curly hair and his blue eyes, just like his dad. I was his favorite uncle, and he always called me Auntie Angus. He had done that since he could talk. I loved that little boy, and I could never have imagined in my worst of nightmares that the events that were to follow that afternoon could ever possibly take place. Alistair loved tractors. I always sent him all the brochures from the John Deere tractors in the post, and he would paste them up onto his bedroom walls. He loved visiting his Auntie Angus and the green tractors at Shalom Farm. He followed me around like a shadow. One of the tractors has stuck in the fields, and I have to go and pull it out with another tractor. I felt his little hand take hold of mine. Please take me with you. I looked across at the lawn where the family were gathered. It was Jill's birthday, and they had all come to the farm to celebrate with her. My mind flashed back for a moment to our youth as I looked at my younger brother, Fergus, playing with the other children on the lawn. He is a golf professional, and he loves sport. We are very close, and I had named my youngest son after him. I remembered our school days. I was always the more adventurous one, being the oldest, although he is bigger than I am. We always did things together. I would wait for him a little break at school, and we would share our sandwiches together. Big break found us together again. We were inseparable. We loved going to the cinema to swap comics at interval. Fergus was always too shy, so he would keep my seat while I went about the serious business <laughs> of swapping comics. The bond between us is very strong and remains so to this day. Fergus married and went to live in Springs. I looked at his four children, Fraser, the twins, Kirsty and Sheena, and little Alistair. He was watching me with an expectant look on his face. Alistair, you'd better ask your dad first. I will always be grateful that I said that. He came running back. Fergus was happy to let him come with me. I had been a farmer for many years, and I had taken hundreds of children on tractor rides. Kirsty, one of the twins, walked out of the gate with us, and she jumped onto the big green tractor. Alistair climbed up onto the right-hand side, and we set off down the road. It was a beautiful day in early autumn. The maize was starting to turn a beautiful golden brown on the farm and looked lovely. The road curved at the thorn tree, and I eased off the accelerator. We were traveling very slow, but to this day, I have no idea what happened. All I know is that there was a sudden jolt, and Alistair fell forward off the tractor. Before I could do anything, the wheels drove right over that little boy. His small body was totally crushed. I slammed on the brakes. Kirsty started screaming. 
and the Zulu driver picked her up in his arms. Please take her home, I yelled as I ran back to pick up Alistair. I stood there with my little nephew in my arms, crying out to God. His blood poured out on my clothes as he battled to breathe. It was half past two in the afternoon. A neighboring farmer, Bob Simpson, chose that exact moment by the grace of God to visit us. I got into his truck with Alistair in my arms. Quick, take us to the house, Bob, I said in anguish. I didn't even get out of the bucky as I called for Fergus, my brother. He told me months afterwards that he knew in his heart that Alistair was dead the moment he heard there had been an accident. I wept as we rushed to the hospital, crying out to the Lord to undertake. This was the darkest moment of my entire life. We ran up the hospital steps. The nursing sister on duty took Alistair from my arms. The doctor pronounced him dead, and they put his little body on a stretcher and pushed it into a side room. My brother Fergus and his wife Joanne came running down the hospital corridor. He lifted his arms. Angus, he shouted, my son, he's gone home to be with Jesus. I'm sorry, Fergie. I'm really sorry. I realized afresh how insignificant words can be. We stood there, arms wrapped around one another, weeping. Someone gave us some forms to sign, and we walked back down those steps. It was half past three, an hour I will never, ever forget. Ferguson and Joanne were very gracious to me as we consoled one another. To this day, they have never blamed me for the accident, and the bond between us is as strong as ever. I was full of blood and in a state of shock by the time we got home. Lindy, my oldest daughter, ran into the bathroom. Dad, Dad, she said, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It was an accident. Please don't blame yourself. She wept on my neck. Jill took my clothes and burned them. I wanted to be alone as I walked in the maze lands. For the first time in my life, I realized how little things really mean. Lord, I cried out to him. You can have the farm. You can have the mealies. I'll give you the tractors. I'll give you the shirt off my back, every cent that I have, if you will just give my brother his little son back again. There was a stillness in the air that afternoon as I walked, wrestling with God. And then I heard a voice in my heart clearly saying, Angus, Alistair is mine. He is staying with me. I bowed my head and acknowledged the sovereignty of God. News had spread throughout the district like wildfire. The whole town was in uproar. Streams of cars came down the road to our home, believers and unbelievers. The entire farming community showed tremendous support and encouragement. We held a memorial service in the little chapel on the farm. A good friend sought me out. Angus, he said, do you own a firearm? Yes, I told him, I have a shotgun. I use it to shoot vermin. Give it to me, he insisted. He was afraid that I would shoot myself. But I knew that the Lord was standing by my side. I had no intention of taking my own life. I fasted for days. I could not eat or sleep. I was so thankful to be a Christian, and I wondered how those who don't know the Lord survive 
trauma like this. The nights were the worst. Till sat up with me till the early hours of the morning until she collapsed from exhaustion, but I could not sleep. My mind raced all over the place, and the accuser of the brethren tried to take advantage of the situation. The accusations came thick and fast. You killed your brother's son. You were negligent. You should have been more careful. You are no testimony. I tossed and turned. I thought back to the afternoon that I was walking on the main street of Greytown. Some of the folks who knew me and saw me coming crossed over to the other side of the street. I know that they were not condemning me, but they simply didn't know what to say. See, said the devil, even the town folk know that you are no good and they want nothing to do with you. One super-duper charismatic type challenged me. Why didn't you raise him from the dead? Why didn't you, repeated the devil. You don't have any faith. But the Lord stood by me, and I was conscious of his presence. In the middle of the storm, I would hear his voice. My son, I am sovereign. Nothing can happen without my permission. I have taken Alistair home. He is happy and content. He does not want to come back. I believed him. God is totally in control of everything. And I determined never to ask why, no matter how I felt. Three months later, Fergus woke up in the middle of the night. He telephoned me, Angus, the Lord has just given me a clear vision of Alistair. He was so happy and his face was glowing. I saw him running through an emerald green field of grass with a gentle breeze blowing. I asked him if he wanted to come back and he said, no, dad, I'm here waiting for you. He said that a tremendous peace had come over him at that moment. And as he realized that his precious little son was safe with Jesus and firmly in his everlasting arms. The battle raged on in my mind. I remember a story I'd heard once about a new Chinese convert. When the missionary asked him how he was coping, he said, it feels like I have two dogs fighting inside me. One black and the other white. Which one is winning? Asked the missionary. It depends which one I feed the most, came the reply. I knew that my strength came from the Lord alone, and I determined to spend more time with him than ever before. The battle would be won only on my knees. I had made it a habit since my conversion to spend time with Jesus in the early morning. But during those dark days, I would be wide awake long before the alarm clock went off at 4 a.m. The moment the alarm rang, I jumped out of bed, went straight up to my farm office. Morning after morning, he met with me in a very special and personal way. His words strengthened my heart and gave me courage. One morning, reading Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, gripped my spirit. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You never get used to something like this, but slowly and surely I found myself getting stronger and stronger. I would never have survived without the Lord. He kept me by his power. He encouraged and strengthened me and gave me peace as I waited before him in those early hours. It became the most precious time of my day. I learned afresh the truth of Romans chapter 8, and verse 28, which says, All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord God, 
to those who are called according to his purpose. The story of Alistair Buchan has been responsible for multitudes of folk responding to the call to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that eternity is real. When I reach those pearly gates by the grace of God, there's going to be a little boy named Alistair waiting for me. I'm going to recognize him and he will recognize me. Auntie Angus, welcome home. I can almost hear his voice now. My whole family have found the Lord and we will meet again on that great day. As I grew in Jesus through this experience, I came to realize that this life is nothing but a vapor, a puff of smoke that soon blows away. A new urgency came into my spirit to preach the gospel at all costs. Time is so short and the harvest so great. Our next major campaign took place in Newcastle, northern KwaZulu-Natal, in the New Farmers Hall in October 1992. It was a mightily blessed meeting of the Lord. The hall had a seating capacity of around 2,500 to 3,000 people. It was filled to capacity every night. People were so hungry for God. One night, I talked about Jesus being on trial before Pontius Pilate. You are the crowd watching him, I told them. What are you going to do with Jesus? Mary Magdalene is screaming, let him go. Pilate, a heathen man, is saying, give him a chance. Everywhere people were shouting, crucify him. What about you? Are you in agreement to his death by your very lifestyle and the sin in your life? The hypocrisy, or will you stand up tonight for Jesus? I talked about Alistair and the incredible grace of God that enabled me to stand in front of them all that night. There was a deathly silence in the hall. My conversion experience was very dramatic, and I believe in giving everybody an opportunity to respond to the gospel publicly. I never ask people to just slip up their hands quietly. For me, it's all or nothing. That's what I love about the ministry of Billy Graham. He believes in making a public stand, and so do I. As I made the altar call, well over a thousand people stood to their feet. They were weeping as they repented and made a definite decision to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Many of the counselors were at the altar weeping as well, and I knew that the Lord was doing great things in the hearts and lives of all these people. It was an awesome experience. Our Lord Jesus healed many sick folk as well, and our hearts were bursting with praise. It was time to go back to the farm and plant another maize crop. Little did I know that it was to be a turning point in my life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Faith Like Potatoes. 